And Sarah's going to read the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Today's scripture comes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, Jesus came out of the water. When Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scripture says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scripture says, He will order his angels to protect you, and he will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. This is the word of God. Thank you so much. Um, we've been in this sermon series for the last couple of weeks called Rhythms and Rituals, and I hesitated using the word ritual in the name of the, like the sermon you know, series, because the word ritual kind of for many people comes with some, some baggage. You know, I don't know what you think of when you think of a ritual. Um, but if you're kind of like new to church, you know, it's like, oh, rituals, that sounds pretty religious. And, and really, it has, it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's, we've been looking at the life of the early church and the book of Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It talks about the, the early church and what they did and what they devoted themselves to. And, and they, they devoted themselves not to just, not just, just some, some doctrine. In fact, really, like the biggest thing that they knew was that Jesus was alive. And so that was their message. But they, um, they devoted themselves not just to doctrine, but to some practices, some like things that they did. And it was centered around bringing Jesus and the truth of who he is just even deeper into their lives. And so we've just been looking at some of these practices. And these are practices that the church has done for centuries. And they've changed and morphed. And some have kind of like gotten pushed, you know, to the side. And, you know, and, and different uh, churches and different kinds of churches throughout history. And even different cultures, different expressions of Christianity in different cultures have sort of engaged in some of these sort of rhythms and rituals in different ways. And one of the big ones that we've encountered and that we're just at the beginning of is this season called Lent. And you've, you've heard of Lent probably. The way that you've probably heard of Lent is you met somebody or you know somebody who's like, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. 
You know, like that's what you know about Lent. Or maybe you grew up, maybe you're here and you grew up in a very liturgical church. And, and, uh, and so you're very familiar with Lent. I mean, that Lent's something you did and, and you totally understand. Um, Lent essentially kicked off this last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday is a holiday where, the, where many Catholic people get together and there's a service in the morning and they have ashes on their forehead. And they walk around with it to, to, remember, um, to remember that they're, you know, that ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that like, you know, we need, just, we need God for our, very, uh, for our very life, you know, it's just a way to remember our mortality and remember the goodness of God. And the day before that is Mardi Gras, which is French for Fat Tuesday. And so um, that originally was a very uh, Christian sort of holiday. It was, it was like, hey, we're going to feast tonight because then we're going to we're going to uh, sort of fast tomorrow and we're going to do Ash Wednesday. But that just kind of leads us to this beginning season of Lent. And this is the first Sunday of Lent. And uh, many churches, here's what's cool. Many churches all over the globe right now, today on Sunday, are reading this very same passage of scripture that Sarah read um, and are talking about some very similar things as we're going to talk about this morning. So it's kind of cool that we're kind of entering into like a, a bigger cloud of of Christianity uh, today, but also in history of stuff that we're looking at today. And Lent is this 40-day period that leads us up to Easter, so to Resurrection Sunday. Our church, we've celebrated Advent. That's the season that leads up to Christmas. And then there's Lent that leads us up to Resurrection Sunday. And it's a way to get our hearts prepared and to get our just minds wrapped around this beautiful, amazing thing that happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Um, I am brand new to Lent, okay? Brand, brand new. I grew up in a kind of church where we didn't, we didn't do Lent. Um, I, the really, everything I know about Lent is what I've been reading about and studying about over the last like five months, just getting ready for, ready for this, this season in our church. And so it's been brand new. I interviewed a few people in our church who grew up Catholic, who just really understood, like they just grew up sort of celebrating Lent, and I just got gleaned some insight from them. And uh, so I'm excited. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of sort of misunderstandings about Lent. And um, also there's um, the, 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 the practice that's usually sort of paired with Lent most often is fasting. So I'm going to talk about fasting this morning. And it's kind of strange to talk about fasting because there's, there's lots of misconceptions about fasting. And, you know, I certainly have them and have had them. And I'm, 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 I'm uh, in my studies and like it's becoming clearer for me. But I found some memes regarding Lent. You guys ready? Here's a couple of memes for Lent that you might appreciate. I don't always observe Lent, but when I do, I make sure to use it as a diet, right? Yeah, we know, we know. Um, and then uh, I gave up Dr. Pepper for Lent, made it two hours. That's probably some of our experience if you tried to fast from something. And there's this one, let the hunger games begin. May the odds be ever in your favor. All right. And then, uh, and then this last one, who was the genius who put St. Patrick's Day in the season of Lent? Seriously. That's rough. Um, there's a lot of misunderstandings about Lent. Um, if you're new to church, you know, if you're new to this whole thing, man, just, you just got to know, we're so glad you're here. You're in the right place. I know that Lent, there are, sorry, that, uh, that fasting might seem kind of, it seems kind of strange. It seems kind of like, that's kind of religious, you know, it's, it's strange. Or even like this passage that we read with, you know, Satan is talking to Jesus and it's like, well, man, what is the deal with all that? Listen, uh, there's a lot of questions there. If you just sort of like pause some of that stuff and, and just sort of like, just enter into the conversation about well, what is fasting all about? Why would, why would Christians do this? Here's what, here's what I really think. I think you're going you're gonna to sort of learn some things about fasting. And through learning about fasting, you're going to learn so much more about who this God is that we serve, that we love so much. So if you're sort of new to this whole thing, you're in the right place. 
Um, you're going to learn a little bit about fasting this morning. If you're not new, you know, this, you're a Christian or, you know, this is your church, um, certainly this is the first time I've talked about fasting. And certainly this is one of the first times in my life where I've taken fasting seriously. You, here's what you got to know. Fasting is difficult. Fasting is hard. It's supposed to be. We're going to kind of unpack it a little bit today. Um, I fasted this last Wednesday for Ash Wednesday. And it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was actually the best experience I've had fasting ever. And I think it's just because I've, I've been studying and I've been learning and I've been, I'm kind of like connecting some dots. I was like, okay, why am I doing this? Because the other times when I've tried fasting in my life, they've been horrible failures. <laughs> um, I just like, and, and I never really quite knew like, okay, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing right now? Like, what is this? What's supposed to be happening? It's like, am I supposed to be feeling something? You know, you just don't know. Or usually in my case, I just forget that I'm fasting. So I just go into auto, I decide I'm fasting. And then I get into autopilot mode and I'm at the office and it's like, oh, sweet, nachos. And I'm like halfway through the nachos and it's like, no, I, I broke my, oh man, I messed up my fast. And then I think, oh, I'll fast tomorrow. And I finish my nachos. Like, that's usually sort of like what happens to me sometimes when I fast. Kind of give up too quickly. And, um, and so maybe that's been your experience. Or maybe you haven't even tried it ever. Um, here's, here's, like, I'm going to just show you my cards, okay? If you're, if you're a Christian, and maybe this is a, a practice that's new to you, um, I'm going to just tell you and from the beginning, this is my whole point. My whole goal is to just try to get you to try fasting. I just hope that when we leave here, you're going to have some more understanding of why we would do this and that you'll have some understanding of like how to do it and then also that you would be inspired to do it in your life and just build, just give it a try. Um, that's, that's my one, one big, big goal. Here's what you got to know about fasting. One of the first things you got to know is, listen, the Bible is all about feasting, okay? Maybe you didn't know this, but sometimes outsiders that are looking into Christianity think like it's about like we have to push our desires down and don't do anything fun, you know, like don't enjoy anything because that might be sinful or something like that. But that is not the God that we serve. We have a God that, that gets good food. And the Bible is filled with good food. In fact, if there's any group of people that know how to party, it's the Israelites. I mean, it's the Jewish people. When they party, they get together for days and days and they just celebrate each other and celebrate the Lord together and just feast and have fun and sing and dance. And uh, we could learn a few things about how the Jewish people party. So um, God isn't about like, oh, like, you know, we're not into good food here. No, 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 he gets it. The Bible's all about feasting. Um, get, food is a gift from God. Um, um, but here's the next thing you need to know about fasting. Fasting is definitely very strange in our culture. Fasting is definitely strange in our culture. Food is really, really central to our lives. Not just because we need it to survive, but because more and more so nowadays people are becoming like foodies. You know, people are becoming just, just, you're just getting into food more and like, oh, we got all these cooking channels and all these different really great restaurants. And, uh, you know, we're blessed to be in a place where like we're here in Eugene and in Portland. There's just so much like really good food. And so we just get caught up in it. And so the idea of fasting, like why would I not enjoy that, such good food? That seems sort of strange. This is why Jim Gaffigan's food humor is unparalleled, all right? Jim Gaffigan is a, is a, uh, is a comedian, and he has so much of his comedy is centered around food. And it is strong, strong comedy. And the reason why is because he just has such funny things to say about food and how much we enjoy and all these different kinds of food. Um, it's, fasting is strange in our culture because we're fed this sort of constant propaganda that convinces us that if we don't have three large meals a day with snacks in between, we're on the verge of starvation. Isn't that true? 
We're just fed this sort of propaganda that, that if we're not completely full all the time, that we must be starving. And certainly my children understand this perfectly. This is their worldview because I feed them a ton. And then like 15 minutes later, they, what do they come to me? They say, Dad, I'm yeah, I'm starving, Dad. It's like, you're not starving. But, but we do the same thing, though, too. Like, we, we skip a meal, you know, or we didn't get our, our you know, or we're like hobbits, right? If we don't get our second breakfast, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm starving. And that sort of propaganda that we are t- kind of taught to believe paired with this other sort of thing in our culture where it's this belief that it's so important for you to just do it, to obey your thirst, to, you know, if you, have a, if, if you have a desire, if you have a, a desire for something, don't squash that down. Don't say no to that desire. That would be unhealthy for you to say no to your desires. No, no, no. You need to say yes to your every desire. And we live in a culture that tells us that. And so then the idea of fasting comes up against some of those ideas. And it's like, oh, that seems so strange. I, bu- I bought something from Amazon um, uh, months ago. And it was like a piece of clothes or something. And it came and it was, it was definitely like an, from China or Japan. or You know, it was just like it was this writing I couldn't recognize. And it was like a shirt or whatever. But in the box, there was like a little extra, like a freebie, like a little bracelet. And I saw the bracelet and I read it and I put it on the dash of my car and I took a picture of it because I knew I would be talking to you about fasting this morning. And here's what the bracelet said. It says, never stop yourself. As if it's like this, you know, and maybe this is what they like perceive like Americans are really going to enjoy to have, you know, like as a bracelet. It's like, never stop yourself. Um, like I'm going to wear that around proudly, right? Because what we all know, what we all know is this is really bad advice, right? Like really bad advice. Yet, and we all know that, but yet, I mean, this is the, this is the water that we swim in. It's, no, I mean, don't deny your, you know, the, that's just not kind of built into, our, into our, our Western culture, you know. Here's the other thing about fasting that's, that's really interesting. Not only is fasting strange in our culture, but fasting is becoming even more popular in our culture. You know that? Fasting is becoming even more popular. Not like fasting for spiritual reasons, but for health reasons. So fasting is actually very common. You know, there's all these cleanses that you can do. There's the ketogenic, you know, sort of diet. There's the intermittent fasting thing, you know. Um, I've got a, a friend who was doing the intermittent fasting thing, and I was like, tell me about it. And he was like, well, you, you don't eat for an extended period of time, and then you have a big meal afterwards. And I was thinking, like, man, I go to bed at, like, 11, and I, I don't eat until the morning. Like, I do that every night. Like, I'm a pro at intermittent fasting. And, it, and apparently that doesn't count, or apparently it works differently than that. Um, but, uh, you know, fasting is sort of like all over in our culture, uh, for sure, as far as health reasons. And um, it's also, you know, it's not new that people have used fasting in other ways uh, as, for a, as a political weapon. So people like Gandhi and people like Nelson Mandela have used fasting as a way to sort of like speak out against the injustices of, of their, their, their place and their day. Um, so that's kind of not new. And then also fasting in other religions isn't new. I mean, we get like there's a lot of seasons in, in the Jewish, uh, for Jewish people where they fast. Certainly Ramadan the, in the Muslim community, they fast for, you know, for a long period of days from from dusk till dawn. Um, and the, the Hindus are, you know, very adept to f- having long periods of fasting um, in, in, in their worldview and what they believe. And so in, in a way, it's so strange in our culture. And then in, in another way, it's also not new. I mean, we kind of understand the fasting thing. But then here's the third thing that I want you to just observe is that fasting is often forgotten in many Christian circles. 
It's just often forgotten in many Christian circles, certainly in my circle. If you ask the typical evangelical Christian today, what role does fasting have in your discipleship? We, you know, they would probably say, like, whoa, calm down, weirdo. Like, wow, that seems like extreme. Like, that seems a little bit Catholic, doesn't it? Like, I think so, some of us Protestants, not to get into, like, tons of church history, but, you know, the Protestants broke off from the Catholics a long time ago because there were some differences and just, you know, where our authority comes from, but also, like, all these sort of like rituals and why do we do them? And so the, the Protestants looked at some of the things that the Catholics were doing and they were like, man, we don't need that. That's legalism. That's, you know, that's works righteousness. We're not going to do that stuff anymore. And so sometimes, sometimes, you know, Protestants, evangelical Christians, we look at fasting and we're like, man, no, that just seems like so, that seems a little out there. That seems a little wild. It seems a little bit like it's too much. Like I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll, uh, I'll do, I'll fast for CrossFit, but I'm not going to fast for Jesus. You know what I mean? Like that just seems like a little bit too much. Um, so I think there's lots of confusion. And uh, so here's what I want to do today. I want to demystify fasting so that I can electrify fasting for you and for me. I want to demystify it so I can electrify it. And I want to do that just doing these four things. What it is, what's the point, what it isn't, and where it points. What it is, what's the point, what it isn't, and where, and, and where is it pointing to? So here's the first one. What it is. B- just basement level. What's fasting? Richard Foster has a really, really great book with a great chapter on fasting called The Celebration of Discipline. Classic book. And here's what he says. Um, has this been up the whole time? <laughs> Here it is. Fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Um, basement level. Fasting is abstaining for food, from food. Uh, for spiritual purposes. There's a lot of other things that you can sort of fast from or abstain from, and especially in this season of Lent, people are fasting from social media. People are fasting, you know, from like buying things. There's all sorts of things that is probably good that you fast from, Twilight movies, you know, like whatever you need to fast from. There's all sorts of probably really, really good things that you, sh- that you can abstain from and fast from. Um, but when the Bible talks about fasting... It's, it's, it's talking about food. So when we read about fasting in the Bible, it's, it's talking primarily about, about food. And fasting is all over the Bible. It's in every nook and cranny. And there's lots of different kinds, but there's four basic kinds of like fasts in the Bible. And here's, here's what they are, just four really basic kinds. There's the total fast. There's only a few uh, examples of this in the Bible, and they're, very, they're like... They're like um, they're like very, um, they're like supernatural fast. The total fast is no food, no water. If anybody tries that nowadays, you should do it for a very short amount of time and with like a doctor's supervision. There's a couple different places in scripture where like, uh, where I think Moses is one of them and I can't remember, there's another prophet in there who, you know, they went for a much, much more extended period of time than that and we just think that that's because like they were, you know, God was with them and, a- and enabled them to do that. But that's very rare in the Bible, a total fast. What's most common is what's called a normal fast. And a normal Normal fast would just be abstaining from food, um, but still taking in liquids. And uh, and, a, and a normal fast would be, you know, it could it could be a whole day. It could be from dusk until dawn, you know. Um, but it would be a, an, a period of time. And this is what some people do. Some people go engage in like obviously one day fast or three day fast, or some people do twenty one day fast or even forty day fasts where they don't have any food, but they but they have they have liquids. 
Um, that, that's a normal fast. A partial fast, there's examples of this in the Bible, like, like the book of Daniel. Daniel abstains from certain kinds of foods. Um, that's, you know, people call that a, the Daniel fast nowadays. But there's different kinds of fasts where it's like specific foods that you're fasting from or just like a specific time of the day. Maybe it's breakfast, maybe it's lunch, you know, or, or whatever, but it's kind of partial. And then, you know, those first three are like kind of individual type fasts for the individual. But then we see in scripture that there's, there's corporate fasts. There's groups of people that get together and say, hey, for this purpose, we're going to we're gonna fast together because there's something we're contending for. There's something going on um, that we're believing in. So those are, those are just some, some examples of like the, the, the broad headings of the kinds of fasts. That's what it is, okay? But what's the point? What does it do? Well, again, the Bible's so diverse. There's so many reasons why people are fasting throughout the Bible. I'm, I'm gonna focus on two, but I'm gonna give you a list of all sorts of ways. And this isn't even an exhaustive list. I mean, there's all sorts of other ways and references to scripture of why people are fasting. But people are fasting for special revelation, you know, for, you know, like uh, decisions and times of war, courage and in, in, in times of grief and mourning, spiritual recuperation, repentance, and the list goes on. There's, there's all sorts of other ones. By the way, Isaiah 58 is a really, really great chapter to read. Um, if you want an Old Testament passage, a whole chapter just on like fasting. And that's a really cool chapter because it's all about, hey, don't fast if you're going to like exploit your workers. That's not the kind of fast I'm interested in. You know, God's like really pushing his people to make sure that they're focusing on people and justice more than just going through this uh, like, a, like a ritual of some kind. So that's a great passage. But we're not going to have time to, to talk about all these. I just want to focus on two. And these are the two that have really helped me. And this last Wednesday when I fasted, I felt like I focused on these and, and I think it's what sort of made me, uh, made me really appreciate um, it in a brand new way. Just two things, two things that I want to focus on today. One is, why, what's the point? Why do we fast? Well, it's because it helps you see more clearly, and it helps you embrace your dependence. It helps us see clearly, and it help us, helps us embrace our dependence, okay? So just those two. Here's what Richard Foster, he says this again. He says, more than any other discipline, this is seeing more clearly that we're on right now. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what's inside of us with food or, or other things, potentially even good things. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, fasting isn't like a denial of desire. It's like an exploration of it. It's an exploration of desire. It's, it's like us not saying like, oh, I shouldn't have a desire for things. It's like, no, 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 I have this huge desire for food. And when I say no to food for this period, it's like, it's, it's like it holds up a mirror between you and your desires. And now you, and it creates this space where it's like, okay, what do I, I know I'm so hungry for food, but it kind of causes you to ask these different questions of, but what am I like truly hungry for? And it kind of just pulls the sheets off of some of the stuff that we use to cover, to cover things up. And, you know, when we have a full belly and, you know, things are good, it's like, you know, we can kind of just forget that there's some other things that need attention. And it's like, it's like fasting sort of clarifies some things, helps, helps open up our eyes so we can see some things in us that we couldn't see before. In this way, fasting is a little bit like, like death. Because this is what death does. If you've, if you've been on your deathbed, if you've been near death, or if you've been near someone who's been near, near to the end of their life, it's amazing how much clarity you get when you're almost, when, when, you, when you're staring death in the face. You get clarity on what's most important in your life, don't you? Nobody ever is on their deathbed and is like, come here, let me tell you something. Like, I really wish I would have seen that, that Netflix show that I missed, you know? Just, ah, oh, I just have so much regret. 
No, no, nobody ever says that. Everybody always, when they're thinking about their regrets and what they wished for, they're talking about people. I mean, the priorities just get super clear and focused. And that's a little bit like what, what fasting does. It kind of creates the space and our clarity is so much more clear. Here's another, here's another quote. Um, he says, uh, this a pastor that I, I read a book, he said this, we long for a community where we know we belong. We ache for a home. And at the same time, our hearts also cry out for justice. But we are often consumed by anxiety about image, fear about the future, desires for cheap comfort and instant gratification. Get this. A thousand forces conspire to distract us from our truest desire every day. It's confusing. We're, what, what's, what, do, what do I love most? What do I desire most? We have so many floating around. And here's, uh, here's a trick that... that that you've experienced, because I've experienced it too, is that sometimes your loudest desires aren't your deepest desires. You might have some loud desires, but, but you've got deeper desires underneath those loud desires. Which, which desires do you have are your deepest, most fundamental desires, and which ones are just, they're not as important, but they're just loud ones, and how do you clarify that? And fasting helps. Um, uh, every gift from God has the potential to also become an idol. Every gift from God can become an idol. So when I'm fasting, I'm saying no to a good thing. Food is good. Food is great. But I'm going to say no to it so that I can kind of discern, okay, where, where do my loves lie? Where do my desires really, really lie? What am I truly hungry for? I've got a quote from John Piper, who I really respect. It's kind of a lengthy one, but so, so helpful and good. It's worth the read. Here's what he says in his book, A Hunger for God. He says this, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land. It's a yoke of oxen. And a, and a spouse or a wife. And he's quoting this parable that Jesus tells in Luke where all these people are invited to the banquet table, but there's three people who are like, I've got other stuff to do. And they have good things to do. They've got a spouse to take care of, a field. They've got some oxen. They're all good things, but these are things that are keeping them from the banquet. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. Whoa. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. So good. In fact, if you've read this really great C.S. Lewis book called The Screwtape Letters, this really cool book about, this fictional book about this like, like this demon who's assigned to a guy, supposed to trip him up, and he's got a senior demon, and the senior demon has given him advice of how to trip up this guy that he's assigned to, and the younger demon's always got questions about, like, how do I turn this guy bad? I got to turn this guy bad. And the older demon's like, no, don't, that's, he's going to see that coming a mile away. Like, don't try to turn him bad. Like, just get him to, get him to, like, you know, make the good things in his life become the ultimate things in his life, and that'll be a sure way Sure. Even get, let him go to church. That's fine. As long as, as long as these like these present things can become ultimate things, you've got him securely in your grasp. He goes on. He says, Jesus said, Jesus said, some people hear the word of God and a desire for God is awakened in their hearts. But then, as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. 
And in another place, he says that the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The, the pleasures of this life and the desires of, our, the desires of our things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. He says these are gifts of God. They're your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. See, hear what he's saying. He's not saying that TV watching and internet surfing and gardening are bad. No, those are beautiful gifts from God. But when we desire those things more, when our, when our hunger for those things to give us comfort becomes bigger and deeper than our hunger and desire for God, then they, become, they can become idols. And it's like one of the only things that can help us just open up our eyes to those things is when we fast. Is when we say no to food, it opens up that space. And it's amazing what happens. The next thing that it does is it, it helps us embrace our dependence. Embrace our dependence. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we Americans can tend to be very fiercely independent. Nobody tells me what to do. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, you know, and just get her done, you know. It's what, just like we're typified. And that's, that's a great part of who we are as a country, and I get all that. But that can really work against us in so many ways when it comes to following Jesus. Because when you fast, it's like, you know, you need food to survive, right? So when you don't eat, you feel like this hole, right? You feel like, oh, I'm hungry. You know, you just feel like, and you just are suddenly awakened to like, I'm, I need food at some point or I'm going to die. It, it awakens yourself to like, I am mortal. I'm like, I think I'm Superman, but like, I'm super grumpy right now. And it's because I didn't get my granola bar, you know? And it's like you suddenly, you're krypton, it's like your kryptonite. It helps you see like, wow, I'm not as Superman-y as I thought. And, and wow, and it becomes this beautiful revelation actually because that thing in you that's trying to be everything to everybody and do everything perfectly, that's killing you. It's just like a poison in you. And it's become so easy then for you to say like, God, I'll call you when I need you, when, I, when I'm struggling, but like I'm actually doing pretty good on my own. Thank you very much. And that'll just kill your relationship with the Lord. And it's like fasting enters you into this beautiful place where suddenly like you're aware of your need. Do you know what makes you aware of your need more than anything else on this planet? Suffering. Suffering does it like nothing else. When you're desperate, when you're praying for a miracle, when you've got chronic pain that won't go away, when you've experienced loss and tragedy, you're desperate. And what do you do when you're, when you're, you, you're just, God, I, I'm like so out of control. I can't control anything. God, I, I need you. And it puts you in this place of, of like desperation when you go through pain, when you go through suffering. And I don't wish that on any of us here. But what fasting is essentially is me choosing to enter into suffering so that I can get back to the bedrock of where my dependence lies. Do you see that? It's like the Israelites, they didn't know how to trust God until God led them out into the wilderness. They needed the wilderness so that they could like learn to trust him. They need to walk through some suffering so that they could say, so they could see who God for, God for who he really was. And when you fast, 
It's like you're entering intentionally into the wilderness. Just like Jesus intentionally entered into the wilderness for us. Those are just some things that as I've looked at fasting, like those are some beautiful things that I've never seen before that, have, that has helped me just recently. Um, opens our eyes, embraces our dependence. Next, next is what is fasting not? What it isn't, okay? First of all, fasting isn't a diet. Okay, um, at least if you want to enter into a, like a spiritual fast in order to get these benefits, it's not, you're not going into it um, for a diet. However, I know, I know that it's hard to like separate some of that stuff because I know that it's easy to think like, I'm going to fast, but also I'm going to lose weight. So bonus, you know, like that's a good thing. So try to just give yourself some grace. Just I know that's like in there. It's like buried in there. Just try to separate that and just be, laugh at yourself when you, when you feel that like kind of creeping in. Just giggle at yourself. Be like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm doing this because I'm trying to connect with, with God. So it's, it's not a diet. Um, it's, it's not a hunger strike, okay? It's not a, God, I really need you to come through, so I'm going to, like, fast until you show up, buddy. Like, I'm going to use my fast to, like, twist your arm. And, and fortunately, we get this idea that God's, like, this miser, and he doesn't want to give us good gifts unless we, like, you know, we convince him by our suffering, you know, and then, he'll, and then he'll come through. He's not like that. He's a good dad. He wants to give us good gifts. We don't need to use... Fasting is a way to twist his arm. So it's not that. And then what it's also not is it's not a way to get brownie points or attention from others or from God. Uh, so what a great passage. This is, this, is, uh, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, this is the context. It's really cool. Jesus just got talking about prayer. And then he talks about this, what I'm about to read you. And then he talks about generosity. He talks about giving. And here's what he says. He says, um, where, where is it? Matthew chapter 6. It says, and when you fast... Don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one, uh, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. It's good advice, right? Because it makes sense. The whole point of fasting is not for you to like show up to work and be like, doo, 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 doo. behold, I fast. <laughs> I'm contending for some things. Yes, yes, I'll take that prayer. Yes, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, that's so weird. Like, no, 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 no. But here's what I love about this passage. And this has really hit me. This has really hit me this week. That one of the core practices that Jesus says that his followers are going to do is fasting. He says, hey, you should pray, which we say, man, we love prayer. He says, hey, you should give, you should be generous. And we say, yeah, we want to be generous. And then he says, yeah, and then when you fast, and we say, uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't think so. Isn't it interesting? I mean, Jesus is saying, when you fast. I mean, Jesus is really, he's saying like, man, this is, this is one of these things that disciples of Jesus build into the life of their discipleship. Um, and that's new for us. And that's, that's new for me. Um, Here's where it points. Here's my last point. Here's where it points. Here's, where, here's where, where fasting points. Notice this passage that we read. It's the passage of scripture that, that uh, churches all over the world are reading on this Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent. Jesus goes into the water and he comes out. And this is one of the moments where theologians look and say that this is one of the places where we can truly see the Trinity like at work in one place. It's, it's Jesus, the, 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 God the Son coming out of the water. It's God the Father saying, this is, my, this is my son. I love him. 
And then it's the spirit of God, like coming and, and resting on him. It's kind of this really cool picture. And then what happens next? I mean, what happened? Jesus is empowered. He just got given his identity, like I'm a son of God. And then he gets sent out into the wilderness. He gets sent out into, into suffering, into pain, into temptation. And notice he's out there and you know, uh, Satan says, turn this stone into bread. And that would have probably been a really big temptation because Jesus hasn't had any bread for 40 days. So he's very hungry, you know, he's hungry. So he's like, oh, that might have been a good temptation. But, you know, what is Satan doing here? You know, he's like, hey, turn this, turn this rock. He'd climb up to the temple and ju- jump off and the angels will catch you and everybody will cheer for you. Or, you know, look at all this stuff that you could have. If you just bow to me, you could have it all. I mean, what is Satan doing here? And one of my favorite places to look, and a lot of people have observed this, but Henry Nouwen, really wonderful Dutch theologian, has this, has this insight on, on this passage of scripture that's so helpful. Henry Nouwen says is that what, what Satan is trying to do to Jesus in this moment is exactly what, exactly what he continues to try to do to us. That the way that Satan is tempting Jesus right now is these same things that ultimately tempt us the most. Henry Nouwen says that, that these three things that, that Jesus is being tempted with, there's three things that you and I have a tendency to hitch our identities to that are come most easy to us, to, for us to define ourselves by. It's this, it, this is what I, I am what I do. I am what people say about me. And I am what I have. And perhaps in our culture today, we could add a fourth one. I am how I feel. I'll take the liberty to add that one myself. But... There's three basic things that I will tend to just define myself by. This is, I am what I do, I am how I perform, I am what people say about me, and I am what I have. And if you live your life that way, you will be exhausted. You will live your life like this for the rest of your life. It will be an up and down roller coaster because you'll have good days at work and you'll have bad days at work. And your good days at work, you'll feel great, and your bad days at work, You'll just, you'll just feel like, like, like dying. People will say good things about you, you'll feel great. People will say bad things about you, you'll be in the deepest, darkest of despair. You'll have a girlfriend and things will be great, and you won't have a girlfriend and you'll feel lost. You'll have a boyfriend and things will be fantastic. You won't have a boyfriend and your life is destroyed. Or you'll have things and then like the recession happens and then you don't have things, you know? Or like, you know, just your life is going to be like this, like this, like this. And it's exhausting. In fact, some of you might be so exhausted right now today because your identity is rooted to one of these things or several of these things, and it's killing you. And now one says this is exactly what Satan is doing when he's tempting Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, turn this rock into bread and show us that you can do something. You can do some great things. Remember, Satan is, is, is addressing Jesus' identity here. He's saying, remember, Jesus just, got, just heard from his father that I am loved. I am a son. And what does Satan say when he tempts him? He says, if you're the son of God, do this. If. Come on, you're not really the son of God. That's not really your identity. No, your identity should be wrapped up as can you do things. And then he says, hey, climb up to the temple, jump off, and the angels will catch you, and everybody will speak well of you. Everybody will be talking about you for weeks. You'll be, you'll be all over Twitter. It'll be amazing. I mean, just like it'll just be blowing up. Don't root your identity in that you're a son of God. No, 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 no. Root your identity in what you can do. Root your identity in what people say about you. And root your identity in what, people ha- and what you have. Look, I can give you all this stuff. You could be so rich. 
And all those same things are the very same things that Satan is tempting you and tempting me with every moment of every day. He's trying to pull us away from our identities in Christ and have us root our identities in these things that are sifting sand. Will not last. Will leave you dry. Here's what's beautiful. This is where this is the point where this is where fasting points. Listen. See, the first Adam was also tempted. You remember? The first Adam and Eve, they were also tempted. They were in a garden surrounded by food. <laughs> they had everything they needed. Things were good. There was one rule. Don't eat this fruit from the tree. Trust me. Trust me. Let me be God. But they didn't trust and they didn't believe. And so they took the fruit. And the first Adam failed the temptation test. But the second Adam, the new Adam, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's a new Adam. And where Adam failed, Jesus did not. Where Adam fell short, Jesus, he beat the temptation test. This is such good news for us because we have a choice. Am I going to be in Adam or am I going to be in the new Adam? And if you're a Christian, here's the good news is that you no longer have to be wrapped up in Adam. Now you get to be wrapped up in the new Adam. You get a new identity. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. If you're a Christian, that means that you are in Christ. That means that Jesus' victory over temptation is your victory over temptation. So as you try to, as you try to fast, and I'm going to give you some tips here in just a second. Send us on our way. Um, you might fail. You might be halfway through your plate of nachos. <laughs> And you're like, I am so weak, God. Like, I can't believe. And you're just going to be tempted to give up. Or you're going to be tempted to say like, you know what? Brooks talked about like all this cool stuff that he did. And I didn't like feel that stuff. I didn't get like warm fuzzies or I didn't get those feelings. Ah, it must not be true. I mean, you're just going to be tempted to like throw in the towel. And you're going to be tempted to just quit, you know, do other stuff. But just know where you fail and where I fail, Jesus does not. He's your victor. He's your victory. He's your joy. He's the one where you get to find yourself in. And that's good news for us as we dive into just trying to create space for us to look at our longings and have him sorted out. Um, um, here's what I'll say. I want to give you some tips on how to do it. This is the last thing I'll say before I give you some tips. As far as I can tell, there's no command in the Old Testament or New Testament that you're supposed to fast. Okay? It's not necessarily a command necessarily. This, is, this means that you could not do any fasting in your life, and guess what? You are just as loved as anyone else. <laughs> um, you do not get to join a special Christian club if you are a faster. You don't get a badge. You don't get a medal. Um, you don't get a trophy. Um, God doesn't look at you as a faster and say, man, those are really my people. But these non-fasters, like, you know, they're like second tier, you know? No, none of that. That is not what we're doing here. Okay, so the pressure's off, but, but for whatever reason, fasting, this is just one of those doors that if you don't go through it, you don't get what's behind it. That's just how we, that's just how we made it. If you don't go through it, you don't get what's behind it. And so let's go through it and find out what's behind it. How do you do it? So here's my suggestion is, um, well, basically, I want you to try it. I just want you to try it. What should you do? Well, um, most people throughout, um, throughout history and the people who are celebrating Lent right now, they fast every Friday during fast. Or, sorry, during Lent. They fast every Friday during Lent. So that means um, 
This, they would fast for, for Ash Wednesday and then last Friday and then the next few Fridays coming up. The last time they would fast would be on Good Friday, the, the, the Friday before Easter, which is already sort of like a somber, sort of an introspective day anyways. And then Easter would be a, 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 the, the resurrection, you know, new life. And so um, maybe you want to try that. Maybe you would just be bold. Or maybe, you know what, just, just try next Friday. Just start there. <laughs> just don't commit to like every Friday before. Just say next Friday I'm going to join with a bunch of other people in history and throughout Christendom, and, and I'm going to fast today. And just try it. Just see what it's like. Um, you could do the whole day. That would, be, that would be cool. You don't have to do the whole day. You could do from dusk till dawn. That's fine. You could even choose, if you want to, just to do a meal or two. Um, you can do that. Or you can do what a lot of people do, and you can pick one thing and fat, like, you know, fast from that one thing throughout, throughout Lent. I'm going to give this up, or I'm going to give up that, that up. That's totally fine to do. You can do that. I just want to give one word of warning, though. Whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, just make sure that you don't, make sure that you, make sure it has some teeth. It's got to have some teeth. I mean, it's got to sort of retain this disruptive nature in your life. Otherwise, we're kind of missing the point. And I think sometimes people give things up for Lent that are just kind of like, you could, you could take it or leave it, but it's not, it doesn't have enough teeth. And I feel like t- abstaining from food for like a period of time, you'll start to feel it. And then it'll start to kick in. And it's like, okay, I'm dependent. God, I need you. And God, what am I truly hungry for? So my suggestion is fast from food and do it for a, a period of time. And if you're brand new, just, just try it once. Just try it. Or just when you go to work, you're not going to have lunch. Okay. Your other buddies are going to be like, why aren't you having lunch? Don't go. You know, don't do that. <laughs> Just be like, you know what? I'm like, I'm trying something new. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know what words you need to describe that, but, you know, don't, um, you know, just, just may, and maybe you need to have that lunch break at your work where now that's where you're, you're going to open up the scriptures. You're going you're gonna to do some prayer. You're going to go for a walk and just like enjoy nature and say, God, you're good. You know, I don't know what you're going to do. But uh, you can do some stuff in there that's really, really, really beautiful. I hope you do it. I'm going to build this into my life too.